HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This is Sam Edwards, proud sponsor of Heritage Radio Network, surreyfarms.com. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. So think about an important social issue that's affecting you right now. Something really, something really critical, something you feel passionate about or outraged about or enraged. What's the difference between enraged and outraged? One of those. You know, I don't know what it's what it's going to be. I don't know what your issue is. There are so many, and I get so fired up about so many of them. You know, like tuna going extinct, or fracking destroying our water here in New York, or you know, potential spinoff shows of Jersey Shore, things like that. There are so many that I get so upset about. I just kind of spin out into this like spiral of hopelessness just thinking about it. But just take a second. And focus on the first social issue that pops into your mind. You got it? Now, is it something that's so critical to you that you would participate in any sort of action to change it or to make an impact? Would it actually motivate you to get off the couch and write a letter or start a campaign to change the issue? Is it an issue that you care about so strongly? And how strongly do you care about it? Well, in researching the show this week, I came upon an issue that um, was addressed by the public, something I was not aware about. It was addressed by the public in a grassroots campaign that proved that the voice of the people and their will cannot be ignored or denied. The people were angry. The people organized themselves. They spoke and they actually made change. Now, it all started back in 1968 when the first Flintstones vitamins were introduced to the American market. Now, the fruity-flavored Stone Age chewables included all the standard bedrock characters, you know, Fred, Wilma, Barney, Dino, Pebbles, Bam Bam, even the Great Gazoo, and there was vitamins shaped like Fred's car. Now, who's missing? 
All of them were there except Betty. Nope. There was no Betty in the mix. Betty got left out of the vitamin party ostensibly because she was too thin and her little narrow waist couldn't take the, ma- the vitamin manufacturing process. And so her early prototype chewable persona kept snapping in half at the waist. Poor Betty. She was probably the healthiest of all the Flintstonians. You know, she kind of looked like she did a lot of Stone Age Pilates. Where Wilma always struck me sort of as like a, a secret smoker and maybe Valium addict. I mean, Beth, Betty was, you know, the hottie. She's definitely the hottest Flintstone. But apparently Betty had low bone, bone density and uh, she couldn't take the rigors of the vitamin bottle life. So no Betty. Betty was left out. Now fast forward to the 90s. 1995, people, I guess, accepted this reasoning about Betty, and they accepted the, the lack of Betty in the bottle. And then 1995 was kind of the heyday of the old cartoons and old sitcoms turned into mainstream movies era. Remember that? Like the Bradys, and everybody had a movie made from an old show or an old cartoon. And so, of course, the Flintstones were given the movie treatment. And who played Betty Rubble? Well, none other than Rosie O'Donnell a comedian and talk show host, not really known for a tiny wasp waist or wayfish silhouette or being a caveman magnet. And when Connie Chung interviewed Rosie about the making of the Flintstones, she brought up the subject of Betty's absence from the Vitamix. And that suddenly raised public awareness to such an extreme that it began a national campaign to bring Betty to the bottle. Yeah, a national campaign complete with call-in voting and voting booths designed to look like Stone Age voting booths and huge public action. You know, all the actual physical effort one used to actually have to make to show that they cared about something before the days of social media. You know, now you would just vote online. But as I pointed out before, the 90s were a simpler time. And so people, people actually got off the couch and voted for a vitamin. And they spoke so loudly and they demanded change so profoundly. And the voice of the people was heard so clearly that Betty was in and Fred's car was out. They dumped the car vitamin and Betty was allowed to become a vitamin. And they redesigned her with their hands on her hips so that she was more durable And that revolution was most definitely televised. But what's crazy is that then there were people who got upset about the loss of the car. Fair enough. But, you know, cars couldn't really talk back then, so they didn't have a say or anything. People actually got upset. No car vitamin. So you see what I mean? Anyway, how the voice and the will of the people can make massive social change. That given the chance to speak with their voices, people living in democracies can alter their destinies. Two billion of us are starving. The planet is turning into Venus. There are three tigers and six tuna left in the world, and that's okay. But we'll get the up, millions of people up off their collective couches and voting to include Betty Flintstone in the vitamins. And that's America, folks. So Flintstone vitamins are vitamin foodiness. I mean, all vitamins are foodiness vitamins. You can't have a vitamin without it being foodiness, and all all foodiness, all vitamins are foodiness vitamins. Yeah. Vitamins as supplements to real food are themselves 
foodiness. Now, you may find this kind of a shock to your system. I mean, after all, if you were born post-1960, you were told to take your vitamins. Like, it's this super healthy thing to do. Doctors and moms always told us. And, you know, doctors and moms are always right. We can always trust everything they told us. Like, when doctors used to tell us that smoking was healthy, or our moms used to say we should get married, or we'll become an old maid by 25, or that to cook broccoli, you need to boil it for 20 minutes until it turns gray. Stuff like that. Or to, you know, mix yourself a cocktail when you get traumatic news. Like, moms and doctors, you know, that was their advice. So we all grew up thinking that that these pills are vitamins, equating them with actual vitamins. Like, we didn't see them as, like, something removed from food out of context. We just thought, well, this is the same thing as what I'd be getting from food. You know, like a protein bar is foodiness because protein actually comes from food. It comes from meat, eggs, dairy, beans, plants, not bars. Vitamin supplements are foodiness because vitamins don't come from pills. They come from food. They're an intrinsic part of food. And that's why vitamin supplements are foodiness because they take the elemental vitamin itself, already removed from the context of its normal source, which is food, and alters it into a totally unnatural form, a pill or a tablet. And even though we've all grown up taking vitamins for granted as the real thing, we don't really know out of context what they do or don't do in our bodies. It's probably kind of like Madonna acting. Nature didn't really mean it to be that way. Nature meant for Madonna to be lip syncing in videos and for people to get their vitamins from actual food. So then by putting vitamins into a sweetened, colored, and infantilized form makes them an even higher degree of foodiness and then places them back into this quasi-food format, which is candy, if you're speaking of like the Flintstone vitamin, with quasi-food flavors, which would be fruit, and then placing them back into a quasi-human environment, bedrock. Up until the 1960s, vitamins were still equated with medicine, something to take and endure, like medicine, taking your medicine, swallowing your medicine. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Taking a vitamin wasn't supposed to be pleasurable or tasty or chewy. It was something you did because either you were an adult and thought they were good for you or you were, an, you were a kid and adult told you to take them. An adult thought they were good for you and made you taking them. So, and why did we think we needed to take vitamins? Well, the vitamin industry, of course, told us to and Our food was certainly diminishing in quality and nutrition as it became industrialized. And doctors told us to take them, so we took them. And, you know, as I just said, as our food became more industrialized and crappier by the decade, after the Industrial Revolution, fears developed that people were becoming vitamin deficient, which they were. You can be, you know, obese and still be malnourished. Of course, those deficiencies are often coming from the overprocessing of food. So the food industry started doing things like enriching our food. They enriched flour and bread and rice to replace back what had been stripped away in the processing. When you strip a grain of its bran and of its outer coating, you take away all its nutrition. So then synthetic versions were sprayed back on. Because if you strip the bran off of a grain, you lose all the folate. And without folate, you get women having babies with birth defects. So they had to put the folate back in. Or with rice, they had to put the niacin, no, 
sorry, that's corn, the thiamine back in. Otherwise, people got this disease called beriberi, which sounds like a really fun cereal flavor, but is actually a terrible disease. So anyway, the food industry started enriching all of our food, adding stuff back in to, you know, replace what gets stripped out in processing or adding vitamin D to our milk because cows weren't feeding on grass anymore, which gives it naturally occurring vitamin D, but they were feeding on grain, which doesn't give it vitamin D. So they put the vitamin D back in the milk, which is all kind of early on foodiness rabbit hole stuff, stripping our food of the nutrients nature naturally provides, then providing us a fake version to make up for it. It's like taking away genuine icons like Elizabeth Taylor and giving us Jessica Simpson instead. And of course, like almost all proto-foodiness technology, the technology for creating synthetic vitamins in a tablet or pill form came from the war. You know, that war, the war, World War II. We've had so many wars since. I have to define that. It used to just be, you'd say, the war, and we knew, but... You have to define which war. So much of what and how we eat today comes from the billions of dollars pumped into scientific research on weapons during the war. And after the war, there were all these surplus chemicals and labs just sitting around in warehouses and chemists and scientists and biologists just kind of standing around looking for their next project since we had already invented the atom bomb. So why not now invent the chewable children's vitamin? So when scientists isolated vitamins in the lab and really started to understand how they affect us, industry and marketing, best friends there, stepped up to help them get it out to the people. You remember hearing about JFK and how he used to get vitamin B12 injections? That was very popular in the 50s and 60s to get shots, to get shot up with B12. Now we just use, you know, fillers and Adderall and Prozac for the same effect. And, of course, if you're old enough to remember or you watch a lot of reruns, you saw it in popular culture, like on I Love Lucy. Lucy Ricardo finally gets her big TV break that she's been waiting for by getting an ad for selling something called Vitamita Vegemin. Vitamita Vegemin is this, like, all-in-one liquid supplement that's supposed to provide everything you need for your day's food, nutrition needs, and apparently tastes just like candy. It turns out, though, Vitamita Vegemin vitamin is mostly alcohol. <laughs> and Lucy has to keep doing multiple takes because she can't pronounce it. And each take she does, she takes a swig of it. And she gets more and more and more loaded, ultimately gets falling down drunk and loses the gig. But Lucy learned a valuable lesson. The lesson was that she should never, ever try to be anything other than Ricky's devoted wife and servant. That nutrition actually comes from real food. And that poor Lucy Ricardo would never, ever be a big star. Now, the first vitamin tablets hit the market in the 40s. And the first vitamin tablets marketed to kids came in the 50s. Like all sorts of food marketed to kids, it all happened in the 50s. And those were called chocks. I I was not alive in the 50s, let me just say that. But I do vaguely remember chocks vitamins from when I was a kid. Chocks ultimately became Flintstones vitamins in 1968. Now, of course, if you know me, if you've been listening to my show, you've heard many of my tales of my kind of whacked childhood of what I call Little House on the Suburban Long Island Prairie. And you know that we, A, didn't have very much money, and B, never bought anything that was name brand or even 
really supermarket brand. So no Flintstones for us. We always had the generic drugstore version of the chewable kids vitamins. No Fred, no Barney. I think they were just kind of animals, like random animal shapes, I think. But, you know, it's funny. I didn't really care that much. There were a lot of things like that that I cared about and was sort of embarrassed by. But I actually didn't care about that because even back then, I think I knew that using cartoon characters to make kids eat fruit-flavored nugget vitamins was kind of a big marketing scam. Like, I thought, oh, that's only, like, for kids who are, like, too dumb to know any better. So I kind of saw right through it. But we did take our chewable kids' vitamins. I guess our pediatrician told us to. You know, everybody did it. Now, it turns out that there's no actual proof that taking a vitamin, a multivitamin, does any good at all. And there's a growing body of evidence that they may actually do some harm. Since you're taking synthetic versions of the actual nutrients out of their natural context, nobody really knows how those affect us and what they're doing to us. But believe me, I don't take them anymore. And if I had a kid, I certainly wouldn't be giving the kid vitamins either. The only thing I take is occasionally in the winter, I take vitamin D because that's the one you have to get from sunlight. And we don't get a whole lot of sunlight here in New York in the winter. So, but what's the issue? What's the problem with taking vitamins out of context? You know, what do I mean by synthetic vitamins? Well, vitamins, minerals, you know, all that stuff occurs naturally in food. They're components of your food and they're meant to act in concert or in context with all the other nutrients in that food. Like the minerals and the pigments and the proteins and the fats and everything else that real food has. It's like an orchestra, you know, and all those instruments are working together to create this music. But when you remove the vitamins in a lab and synthesize them using chemical elements, you're kind of messing with an already perfect delivery system that comes with the food. And so when you take a supplemental vitamin, you aren't taking a real vitamin. You're consuming something artificial made in a lab that's a doppelganger. And that is by definition foodiness. You can look it up on my website where I have a definition of foodiness. You can go to letsgetrealshow.com slash foodiness 101. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, more about the Flintstones and their prehistoric vitamin pals. This is Sam Edwards from Virginia with SurreyFarms.com, proud sponsors of the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to Let's Get Real. America Wide's your host. Remember, you can always check out the show on my site, Let's Get Real Show. Dot com. You can listen to any episode. This, by the way, is episode 30. Woo, it's an anniversary episode. You can also find them on iTunes, all of them, all 130 of my shows. Uh, you can also always go to heritageradionetwork.com and listen to any of our shows there. They're all there, too. And you can also find me on Facebook, Let's Get Real, on Facebook, and let me know how you like the show. Send me a little note. I would love to hear from you. So, why are we happy to accept things like synthetic vitamins in our lives? E- eager 
I would dare say, eager to accept that. And not just like a daily multi, in vitamin enhanced things like gummy bears, water, even packets of Splenda now come with vitamins. It's like we all kind of deep down really know that our food is shit and really just foodiness. So we feel like, well, as long as I use the Splenda with added vitamins or I chase down the bowl of Captain Crunch with a gummy vite, I'm keeping that insurance policy up to date and I'll be okay, you know, just in case. I mean, even I have this trainer, I go to like a boot camp thing at my gym and even my boot camp trainer told me that he eats a handful of gummy vitamins a day, a handful. And he has really big hands. Now, vitamins can be toxic. Okay. It's not like a more is better kind of thing. They can be toxic and you can overdose on them and not just in huge amounts. Kids overdose on gummy vitamins all the time. Okay. Why are we so willing to just swallow this stuff if it's disguised in candy form? If if it's so benignly presented as little chewy bears or in pretty pink water or in a packet of potentially poisonous sweetener, we buy right into it. And you know there are no warning labels on the stuff because vitamins and supplements aren't regulated by the FDA. So the company doesn't have to put any sort of warning label on it. So you don't get a dosage on the label. And generally, people think that with vitamins, more is better. So kids will get poisoned by eating a handful of gummy vitamins. I mean, we tell kids not to take candy from strangers, but we tell them to take candy vitamins from corporate America without questioning it. As if the vitamin supplement foodiness propaganda wasn't bad enough, now the message is that eating candy is good for you. It's nutritious. Doesn't this sound slightly suspicious to you? I mean, you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to find corporate food manufacturing telling the public that eating candy is good for us. Just slightly disturbing and concerning. Is corporate America telling us to take our candy because it's good for us or because they just want to sell us more candy? Telling us to eat candy to get our vitamins is a function of what I talked about actually on a recent episode of the show called You're Being Infantilized by Fiber Bars. It's turning us all into docile, dependent, unquestioning children who will believe and eat anything foodiness manufacturing puts on our plate. That's like relying on Andy Cohen to provide us with culture or the Tea Party to teach us history. The fact that so many people today actually do one or the other is probably the result of taking gummy vitamins. But Andy Cohen, if you're listening and want to have me on, I am available for guest appearances. Just, you know, just call my publicist. So let me make this one really easy for you. Vitamins and minerals come from food, not gummies, not Flintstones, not tablets, not artificial sweeteners, not water, food. What's food? Food is anything that at one time walked, swam, flew, or grew out of the ground and hasn't been altered. Like an apple or a stalk of asparagus or an egg. The point is that's where you get your vitamins from. From food. The only one that doesn't directly come from food is vitamin D, which you get from the sun, but you can also get it from food. So eat food equals get nutrition. Food, not foodiness, not gummies, and definitely not chocolate calcium chews. Have you seen these things? So I had a friend years ago who she used to keep like a little candy dish on her coffee table, you know, like a grandma would do. But in her little candy dish, she had those chocolate calcium chews. These things that are marketed as a vitamin slash candy to women using a fear of osteoporosis 
as a way to sell more candy. You know, women love chocolate. So this was a way to like sell chocolate to women, make them feel not guilty about eating it because it had calcium in it. I don't know why anybody would feel guilty about eating chocolate. Anyway, chocolate's good for you. But anyway, this friend of mine would eat these little chews like candy while she watched TV and drank diet soda all night. Now, let me just say this friend has MS now. Just saying. Now, she probably never consciously thought back then, hmm, I'm eating candy with added synthetic minerals and vitamins. I'm washing it down with a can of flavored colored poisonous water. I wonder if I'll be diagnosed with MS in a few years. Now, P.S., she still drinks diet soda. We aren't really friends anymore, FYI, not because she has MS, okay? We're just, we drifted. So if you're not eating real food and just eating foodiness, then you're not getting real nutrition. So you wrongly assume that you can make it up by eating supplements, but you're so infantilized by foodiness that you eat supplements in candy form, which infantilizes you more because you never develop an adult palate or sensibility about real food because all you like and know is sugar and sweeteners and chewies and purple flavor. Alice, can you hear me down there? Is there any room left at the bottom of the rabbit hole for all of us? Oh, I just got a text back from Alice. The answer is yes, but they're having to do some expansion and renovation to make it extra, extra, extra large so we can all fit down there more comfortably. So we've got supplements designed, sorry, supplements disguised and designed as food and food disguised as supplements. And the line is getting ever blurrier as we move further away from just food and further down the rabbit hole of foodiness. Now, I thought that Tang was maybe the lowest we could go. Remember Tang? But as Chris, my co-author, always says, there's always someplace lower to go. And he wrote two self-help books, so he would know. And isn't it kind of sad and pathetic that you can overdose on gummy vitamins? I mean, seriously, forget, you know, meth and oxy and all that, like, trailer park kind of drug stuff. A couple of decades ago, the glamorous way to die from an overdose would have been to do too much heroin and choke on your own puke or just do too much heroin or, you know, pull a John Belushi, too much Coke, speedball, something like that, something glamorous. Now, it would be really embarrassing to die of an overdose of gummy vitamins or even worse, to choke on a gummy vitamin while you're on the couch watching Bridezilla's. I don't think Janis Joplin would have taken her gummy vitamins. It's what I always say about food versus foodiness. We've been sold a big bag of goods from the food industry, and we're so used to it now that we've lost our, what I call, like our food IQ, the built-in ability to look at food and know what's good or what's bad, or at least I think it's built in. I mean, back when we wandered the forest and the savanna, we knew what to do. We knew what food was before the supermarket, even we knew what to do. Have we lost that ability, like how we lost our tailbones or our gills? I mean, like all other animals, your parents are supposed to show you and teach you what's safety and what's harmful. But if your parents were born after probably 1930, even they may not be so sure now. There's so much noise out there, so many shiny packages and ads and stores and people screaming at you. That you couldn't find real food at the mall food court if it slapped you in the face in front of the Cinnabon store. Now, of course, as in respect to everything else, there are a million opinions and a million experts. And then there's me. And I'm always right. (laughs) Listen, I don't know anything either. And I often feel as lost as everyone else. 
constantly, all day, I'm thinking, do I eat grains or grains bad? Dairy, no dairy, more fat, less fat, more animal protein, less animal vegan. What should I do? I struggle with these questions all the time. And my food IQ is probably a lot higher than average simply by the nature of what I do for a living, which is that I am a chef and I teach in a culinary school and I am clawing my way up to the top of the media chef ladder. So my food questions and quandaries occupy a narrower slice of my brain, but I feel your pain. I know how utterly confusing this all can be. It's really whacked how here in the land of plenty, we have no clue what to eat. And it's because culturally we're so young and we're so new. We don't have thousands and thousands of years of food culture behind us to base our food lives on, like in Italy or Japan or France or anywhere else other than what I call the colony conglomerate countries, like us or Australia or Canada, where it was kind of a big empty place, except for the Indians, and then suddenly all these people came a couple hundred years ago. And immigrants like to assimilate, so as soon as they get to their new place, it's kind of away with the traditional foods and bring on the Pringles and the Gatorade. Now, the crazy thing is, even with all of this, we've extended life expectancy now into our 80s, which is unbelievable considering what we're eating. I mean, Fred and Wilma's life expectancy was probably more like 30 max. And that was only if they avoided getting stepped on by a brontosaurus. They probably followed what people now would call the paleo diet, given their era. And they still only live to like 30, maybe 40. Now, maybe I'm totally wrong about all of this. Maybe actually diabetes and obesity and heart disease are actually the secret faucet of the fountain of youth. Maybe I have this thing totally wrong. Remember that phrase, live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse? Now, most people think James Dean said it, but he didn't actually Wrongly attributed. It's from a movie. But anyway, for thousands of years, we just ate food, and we lived pretty fast, and we died pretty young, and we probably looked 70 at 30. And for thousands of years, we didn't have glycolic acid peels and laser hair removal and Botox, but we still only lived till 30 because we had predators and disease and starvation, and it was like an involuntary Logan's run. Oh, you're 30? Oh, time to go. Something's going to kill you. Bye. And also, they didn't have mirrors back then and bad lighting and photoshopping, making 50-year-old women look like teenagers on the covers of magazines and having to compete with that. Now that we live to 80, are we doing ourselves any favors? Maybe we need to shorten life expectancy again. You know, clear out, clean this place up, do a little, uh, you know, extinguishing. It's okay. I can say that because I'm Jewish. It's okay. Now... How old were Fred and Wilma supposed to be anyway? When you were little and you watched the Flintstones, they were grown-ups. I thought they were quite old, but think about it. Pebbles was only a couple years old, so Wilma was still close to her fertility years. So let's say Wilma was 40, maybe 40. Fred always seemed kind of like an old man to me. Now, he could still get his car to run, though, just by using his feet. He was probably still giving it to Wilma most nights. They all actually seemed pretty virile and pretty healthy, and they didn't take vitamins. Or if they did, were their vitamins shaped like little modern people? Were the Flintstones taking vitamins shaped like Oprah and Lady Gaga and CeeLo Green and Mary-Kate Olsen? Well, maybe not her because she's so skinny. She would have that same 
Betty breakage issue. So anyway, if you don't want to eat shit, eat your vitamins in food, real food, and leave the Flintstones in the past on Nick at Night where they belong. And remember, never eat gummy vitamins in bed. One bad chew and your history. We're out of time. Thanks for listening tonight. Thanks to Joe in the control room. Thanks to Chris Nutter, my co-producer and co-writer, and Marishka Bland, who did the research on the show this week. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.